You're listening to Deliberate Living, a podcast that inspires, empowers, and encourages listeners to live life more authentically. My name is Holly Priestley, and I'm a full-time nomad and creator who has been living in my 1997 Ford van since January 1st of 2019. I travel the United States with my dog, learning how to live with more authenticity. I explore different ways people choose to ditch the prescribed life we've all been sold and live on their terms, finding freedom and happiness however they choose. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Deliberate Living Podcast. I am your host, Holly Priestley, and I'm so excited about this week's guest because I have been following her on Instagram since like 2017, 2018. Uh, before I was even in my van, she was in a van, like traveling, climbing, being a fucking badass. And I just thought that was so cool. Um, and so Fallon is our guest today and she has done everything. She has done, she's so adventurous. She's done all the things, um, van life, climbing, high pointing. Uh, she's a teacher. She's in school. She wrote a book. Um, she has some chronic illnesses that she deals with like on the side of absolutely everything else. Um, And I just think that she's an incredible woman and I'm really excited to have her on and share her story and uh, talk a little bit about how she navigates, you know, like needing to have some kind of semblance of like structure and like normal life, but also being very adventurous and active and uh, also how like injury and illness impact all of those things. So hi, Fallon. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. And you're so nice. Oh my God. <laughs> wow, you make me sound so cool. I mean, you are so cool. <laughs> oh my God, you're so sweet. <laughs> well, I'm stoked to be here. Thanks so much for the invite. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, for the listeners who have not been following you for the last five years, like total creeps, um, can you <laughs> give like <laughs> can you give like a like just a brief overview of what the last few years have looked like or you know even the previous few years how did you get to where you are yeah how did we get here (laughs) yeah uh let's see well I grew up mostly in Idaho and then I went to college in Logan at Utah State where I studied geology and I started climbing outside a lot back then and I eventually learned how to trad climb I was living in Colorado for a little bit um and through many different relationships and moves and you know all of the normal chaos of life um I have gotten to do some pretty cool climbing and go on some nice trips. And, um, you know, I was in an abusive relationship. I went to Patagonia and that was pretty wild. And so I wrote a book recently about that experience. So yeah, now I'm living in St. George in the desert and I love it so much. I used to teach in person, but now I'm teaching online and that is way better for my life, for my freedom, for my health, for everything. So yeah, just teaching online. I'm coaching climbing and writing and trying to get this book published. That's where I'm at. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I think that, you know, I, I feel like I do that sort of thing with my life. Like I want, you do a lot of different things just to make it all work. And you find things that work or things that you're more passionate about or less passionate about. And you kind of build your life around that rather than, you know, the standard prescription of like, having a 40 hour a week job. Um, Instead, it's more like piecing together. Like I want to do this and I'm good at doing this and this brings me more money, but also adventures. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like that's really guided like my life. And I come from a family where it was like, 
my dad just really wanted all of us to be stable and like have a salary job and like <laughs> so he didn't have to worry about us you know yeah and I totally respect that but then once I like got the salary job thing and I was teaching in person full-time I actually kind of like hated my life I love teaching like teaching was great but just the schedule and the pressure and the exhaustion that comes with that you know is it's a lot and then you don't have a lot left in the tank for climbing or adventures or just other things in life so I think I started to realize like okay I need to like build a life for myself that actually supports the things I want to be doing and so teaching online was kind of a step in that direction where I'm like okay working remotely obviously opens up a lot of doors and I get to sleep more and I have way more control over my schedule so it's definitely like been an improvement and then coaching on the side when I can as well as really really fun like I used to coach in-person youth teams for climbing but that was like a really rigid schedule with practices whereas now coaching adults privately I get to make my own schedule and when I want to meet with clients so that's also been a lot better for me too I love that I think that's I just the concept of like I need to build a life that like works for me and supports the passions that I have and the ways that you want to like impact the world through teaching and coaching and, and those sorts of things. When did chronic illness really like come onto the scene? Is that something that you had been dealing with before you had a diagnosis uh, or was it like a sudden onset kind of thing? How did that impact teaching, working, writing, climbing? Yeah. Adventuring? Life. It's been a long road. Oh my God. I've got a lot of things going on with my body. So I've been climbing for 20 years and I've always had like weird joint pains. Like even when I was a little kid, I was like having weird joint things. Like I'd be in PE and even though I was like a pretty fit child, I'd be like in the back of the crowd, like with everybody running the mile, like, you know, and they'd be like so confused. Like, aren't you a rock climber? Like what's going on with you, you know? And I'd just be like heaving and like complaining about my ankles. And they're like, this is so bizarre. Um, and I also had a bunch of allergies growing up. So that was also kind of like one of the first like indications something was going on. Like I had tons of eczema and like weird food reactions. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So like by the time I got to high school, I was having more severe issues. Like I found out I had hip dysplasia after doing a lot of high pointing. I was like backpacking a lot and carrying heavier packs. And that really aggravated my hip. And then I was like bouldering and training for climbing comps in high school. And so doing a lot of like dropping onto my leg and I got to a point where like I couldn't walk for like a couple days at a time because my hip would be hurting so much. Whoa. It would, like seize up my lower back. Yeah. So I think that was like kind of the first like big thing where when I got diagnosed with hip dysplasia, the doctor was like, you basically have no cartilage left in your left hip. It's like very much like just total osteoarthritis and you should have this crazy surgery. How and old were you? I was 15. <laughs> so 10 years ago now. Oh my and god. I was just like, oh, uh, okay. Cause at this point, like I was I had full intentions. Like I didn't really even like want to go to college. I just wanted to climb full time and be a dirtbag. Um, and that was like kind of life shattering for me, where he was like, Yeah, you probably shouldn't like climb anymore or hike or do anything. Like maybe you go to like swimming or something. That's low impact. And I was like, Whoa, what? And I just <laughs> I remember I cried and cried and um, I went to physical therapy and like figured out ways to strengthen my hip and like what positions would be like okay for it and that made a huge difference because then I could climb um, but just like be careful of like where my hip was at like what angle 
and like try to carry less weight. So like, I'm really fortunate that partners are usually understanding. (laughs) So when we go out, a lot of the times they'll help carry some of the more heavy things. So that's really crucial for me with my hip. Um, So that was kind of like one of the first main things that happened. Um, And then as I got older, um, I had a lot of other things (laughs) going on with different like illnesses. So um, when I went to Patagonia in 2017, I got hemorrhagic E. coli dysentery. And it was really, really bad. <laughs> um, I'll spare you guys the gory details. Um, but yeah, it was I was very, very unwell for quite a while because of that. And it kind of just like wrecked my body. Um, it's like a kind of like a stomach gut upset. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like it causes like internal bleeding, basically. Um, sounds so terrible. The hemorrhagic the part. Yeah. To have <laughs> in a country that like is not your home country. And yeah. Not ideal. The hospital I was in only had one toilet. It was it was really bad. Um, oh my god! <laughs> I recovered from that, and um, also like PTSD from my partner. That was really bad. Um, and I had some other things happen that year as well. Like I shattered my ankle bouldering. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when that happened. Yeah, so I've had three surgeries on that. So all of this like trauma to my body essentially just kind of like overloaded everything. And it kind of led me down this road where everything got a lot more severe. So starting in the fall of 2018, I started fainting a bunch and I didn't know why. And um, that was kind of like the first time I was like, okay, something is actually like really wrong with me. And I, a lot of doctors were just like writing it off. They're like, your blood work is fine. You're healthy, like whatever, you know, or they were like, oh, are you pregnant? Or like <sighs> stupid shit like that. I was like, really? Okay. Um, And so that kind of like started this whole journey of like going to a million doctors because they kind of have to like rule out everything, you know, before they can figure out you have something like what I have, um, POTS or dysautonomia. Um, So I went to tons of different doctors, had basically every test (laughs) you could have. Um, And eventually, you know, thankfully was able to get into an autonomic neurologist who is now the specialist that helps me. So I have POTS, which is a type of dysautonomia causes problems with a lot of different body systems and they think it was kind of started because of all of these other things that had happened to me like being on bed rest from surgery having infections like all of this trauma to my body and I was already susceptible to it because it turns out I have another condition called HEDS so that's like a connective tissue disorder it causes issues with your joints and tendons and things so I'm a lot more likely to get injured which also has made climbing difficult because I've had um, a lot of issues with my joints. Like I've had shoulder surgery because of it. Um, but the cool thing about all of this is that I learned a lot about my body in the process. I learned how to advocate for myself in the medical system. And I learned like what I need to do to take care of myself because there was a year there where I, my POTS was so bad and I didn't know what was going on before I was diagnosed that I didn't even climb for a whole year. And that was oh my really, goodness. really hard for me. I was just like living alone and I was working as a substitute teacher and climbing coach at the time. And I was like miserable. Like I just didn't know what was wrong and when it would end. And I'm just like so grateful now <laughs> that I have doctors that can help me so I can like manage my symptoms and I can still climb and work and like do things again. That's been huge for my independence and happiness. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So it's been a long road. There's a lot of other stuff going on too, but like, those are some of the like main things that I've had to kind of deal with and figure out how to navigate with my career and with climbing. So it's definitely complicated. 
Yeah. So you said that when you, when you found out that you had hip dysplasia and the doctor was like, you can't climb anymore. And you were like, fuck you, I'm going to physical therapy. And then you went to physical therapy and you know, you learned how you can still climb. You just have to be aware of what angle your hip is at, et cetera. Um, then as all of these other things started happening, the POTS, the H-E-D-S, that's the H-E-D-S, acronym. H-E-D-S, yeah, or HEDS. Were those kind of a similar, like, doctors are like, you probably shouldn't do the things you love to do. And you were like, fuck off, I'm going to do what I want to do. How much are those, uh, how many, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't want to say adaptations, but. Um, yeah, no, it's an adaptation. I would consider a modification myself a, or a something. Climber at this point. So yeah, I have to, I have to adapt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's a really good question. So the original hip dysplasia doctor, yeah, he was just like, what? You're stupid. Like, don't do this. Like, go to low impact <laughs> things. And you're like, you don't know yeah. how this, you've clearly never been climbing before. Like, yeah, I'm not first, just going to not do it. Exactly. Yeah. At first I was just like, well, I just like won't boulder and that should be fine. You know, if I just like rope climb and like, don't like stem really far with like chimney climbing with mm-hmm. my hip. And then I realized I was like, I can actually do a lot more than this. <laughs> Um, and so over time, like once I like broke my ankle, I obviously couldn't boulder again for a long time. And I never thought I would boulder again, funnily enough, but now I do. <laughs> um, cause I've found out that like, I can fall on it if it's a relatively flat landing and it's not a high ball, then I'm usually fine. Um, but I have had to adapt in other ways and it's been interesting to see how the doctors have reacted to that. So my <laughs> ankle doctor, <laughs> the surgeon who did all my ankle surgeries was like, yeah, you definitely shouldn't boulder a crack climb anymore. Like that's bad news for your ankle. <laughs> and crack climbing does hurt a lot. So I have kind of backed off from that for the most part. Um, and when I do it though, I just like tape up a lot on my ankle and just like take some Tylenol and ice it afterwards. And usually it's fine. But with the pots, my doctor actually was really interesting when she found out she's like, oh, you're like a elite climber and you have pots. That's so interesting because most of her patients are really deconditioned and usually they're like yeah. on disability they're kind of like couch bound not everyone with pots you know that's like a sweet yeah. generalization but a lot of people with the illness really struggle just even with like daily life and I would say I do too <laughs> in a way um but I've found ways to manage it and I'm really fortunate that I'm at a pretty functional point but my pots doctor was just like wow I'm like amazed that you're able to do this and she actually She's like, I love that you're one of my patients because it proves that this isn't only because people are like lazy or deconditioned. Like you can be an athlete and still develop this illness. Mm -hmm. And she primarily does research. And so for her, that was like a really powerful kind of like data point to see that like someone with this illness can go do these things if they get to this point and they don't like let themselves get deconditioned kind of thing. Um, Or they claw their way back like I did after a year of not really climbing. Um, so that was really interesting. And then my HEDS doctor was like, yeah, no, you should keep climbing. (laughs) Um, because it's actually really good. It keeps your joints stable. You know, you're, you're working your body and it's like strength training, Mm -hmm. which will help kind of keep everything like more stable instead of being like really loosey goosey and, um, prone to dislocations and strains and things like that. He was like, yeah, Yeah. you know, like keep climbing, like you might get injured more than other people, but it's going to be better for your body overall, because the more you lift weights, the more you climb, the more you stay active, the more your joints are going to like be more resilient and strong (laughs) and hopefully not degrade as much as if you were just like inactive and let them get really like, um, 
what's the word for it? Uh, stiff, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> stiff and susceptible to like degradation. So, yeah. So anyway, every doctor's kind of had a different reaction. I guess <laughs> with the climbing, the biggest thing is like making sure I'm not going to faint. So I always have to talk to my partners about that and just be like, hey, I'm really dizzy today. I don't really faint a lot anymore because I can tell when it's going to happen and I'll prevent it. Like I'll lie down or I'll do something, I'll bail, whatever <laughs> needs to happen. Mm -hmm. um, chug some salt water. And then it's usually like not a problem as much. And the fainting is a symptom of POTS? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. So POTS, the main symptom I have from POTS is being lightheaded and dizzy every single day. So we call it like pre-syncope. It's kind of the feeling you get before you pass out. Mm -hmm. And I used to faint a lot more because I didn't know how to manage it as much. But now that I know more about it, I can kind of prevent it. So I know when it's going to happen. It's usually when I'm dehydrated or I haven't slept enough or I'm overheated um, or I've been standing in one spot for a long time, like belaying. I have to like move around a lot. Mm -hmm. or if I'm like at a hanging belay and all the blood is pooling in my oh, legs. Oh, you know? I hate those. <laughs> yeah. So like things like that, like I know my triggers now and I know how to like manage and prevent those things. Um, and the biggest thing for me has honestly been the salt. So POTS, usually one of the main treatment like options is to just increase your sodium intake. But for me, it wasn't just a little bit. It was a ton, like 10,000 milligrams a day of sodium. Oh which my word. <laughs> the average American would just be absurd, but I have such low blood pressure and I don't have enough blood volume. So the salt and the water that I have to drink every day basically just like allows my body to like make and keep more blood and maintain blood pressure so that I get enough blood to my brain and I don't faint. I don't just have it all pooling in the bottom half of my body. So that helps a lot <laughs> with the pots. <laughs> um, I still have the other issues with the pots, like the brain fog, the fatigue, the stomach things, the sleep problems. Um, but I am like really, really specific about like the way I live my life and the habits I have to maintain to like stay healthy to the point where like friends, family, partners are always just like, oh my God, like you are so neurotic about this. But if I yeah. don't do that, then my body just like starts to tank. Like if yeah. I start to let my sleep go or my diet or the hydration or any one of those factors, it all goes downhill. So I'm like really on it so that I can stay as healthy as I can be. <laughs> you know? I, I really appreciate that. To be honest, I love seeing people being like, well, this is how my body is. These are the activities I want to do. I'm going to do whatever it takes to do the activities I want to do. Like I, most people in their twenties can just, you know, drink beer and eat <laughs> pizza and stay up all night long and then yeah. go, you know, try hard on some routes the next day and like everything is fine. And like some people can't. And that's also fine. But like yeah. to have the the discipline and like just the self-awareness and um the willingness and the drive to be like, these are the things that are important to me. I'm not gonna give them up fucking a doctor who says I should give them up I'm not <laughs> going to give them up um but I am going to take whatever steps are necessary for me to keep you know living the life I want to live and having a quality of life that like benefits you I I just think that's really admirable and not something that a lot of people do <laughs> yeah it's hard and I mean to be fair like any chronic illness it's exhausting like as you know like it's mm -hmm exhausting and it takes so much energy just to like advocate for yourself maintain these doctor's appointments or medications or treatments or whatever lifestyle things you have to do to support your body it's a lot of work and so people who 
maybe don't try as hard or who like some people might say they've given up like I also don't have any like shade towards those people like there's Mm -hmm. no shame in that either because everybody's just doing their best you know and what someone's best looks like is going to be different than somebody else's best so even like within one person like for me there's some weeks that are a lot better or worse than other weeks and (laughs) you know as long as the general trend is upwards or is like towards doing the things I love then it's like okay I'm doing all right. Like one bad day or one bad week, one bad month isn't going to ruin a whole life, you know? (laughs) So it's just like kind of keeping a big perspective. So like when I am really symptomatic, I don't let it get to me too much because I'm just like, you know, this happens. I'm going to take care of myself and I'll get better enough, hopefully, to keep climbing. And that's how it is, you know? (laughs) You can't (laughs) control it. Like you do what you can. But at the end of the day, even with chronic illness, if you did everything right, you know, you you have all the treatments, you you take all the steps, you are still going to be sick because it's a chronic illness. It doesn't cure it, you know? So I think that's something a lot of people who don't have illnesses, like, don't understand is they think like, oh, if you just did yoga and drank this fancy, <laughs> you know, whatever, then you'd be <sighs> fine. But it's like, well, even if I did everything right, quote unquote, I still wouldn't be fine. So for yeah. me, it's just like, I want to feel as good as I can feel on the body that I have. The cards have been dealt, you know? And for me, that means, yeah, like I have to be more disciplined and like make some sacrifices, like with sleep, (laughs) like I can't go stay up all night and like go party or whatever, but that's okay. Like I'm happy to do those things because I've really like locked down what my values are and I really value climbing and I value feeling good in my body. So whatever I can do to like make that happen. Yeah, of course I'm going to do it, you know, (laughs) but some people wouldn't make that choice and that's okay. You know, we all have our agency. <laughs> right. I think like you said it comes down to what your values are. And you know, knowing what your values are I think is incredibly important and work that people should absolutely do. It's also okay for your values to change over time if they need to. Um mm-hmm. or for, you know, one day for something to rank a little higher than everything else. Um when you were first diagnosed with any of those things, hip dysplasia, POTS, heads, whatever, when you were first diagnosed with, with any of them, all of them, was there a part of you that was like, not so positive, not so (laughs) like, well, I'm just going to make it work. Or are you, is your natural state of mind like, all right, well, this is the next challenge and we're just going to move right through it. Or (laughs) is there a part of you that was just like, fuck, why? (laughs) Yeah. Definitely all of the above. I mean, there's so many emotions you go through when you start having symptoms, when you're in that pre-diagnosis phase, when you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. That pre-diagnosis phase, I'd say, is almost the hardest because like, you don't know what's wrong with your body. And it's really unsettling every day to just be like, what the hell is this? Like, why do I feel this way? How do I make it go away? Like, you just want answers. You're like, I don't even care what they tell me this is. I just want to know what it is and how to deal with it, mm-hmm. you know, if there's a way to deal with it. Um, so for me, that was really hard, the unknown, but I had to tap into like, um, stoic philosophy. I I talk about this a lot. Like you do. I love it. um, (laughs) I love stoic philosophy so much. It's so helpful. I found it when I was like 17, I think. And it really helped me deal with what was going on with my hip at the time. And I didn't realize just how helpful it was going to be in the future dealing with these other medical things and with the PTSD and trauma from the abusive relationship I endured. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea like how much I was going to rely on that in the future. So every single like thing that came along, it was, of course, it was hard. Of course, I had grief and I still work through that grief a lot. Like I'm still in therapy to deal with that. 
because you do you we do love grieve. therapy this, yes. this podcast is all about therapy we love therapy everyone yes. should have a therapist every single person even if you think you don't need one you probably need one amen <laughs> but yeah, like I still work through that grief because you do grieve the kind of life you would imagine for yourself and you grieve like the person you thought you were going to be or the things you thought you were going to do and that you might not be able to do anymore that's really hard to come to terms with in your life Mm -hmm. Um, it's almost like a death of a potential person that you might've turned into. It sounds weird, but you know, we have these ideas of like things we want to do, or at least the possibility of doing something. And when that's taken away from you, it is really hard. So I guess the pre-diagnosis stage, the hardest thing is the unknown and just wanting answers. And once you do get a diagnosis, a lot of times, at least for me, it's been a huge relief. Like, oh, it all makes sense now. Oh, like I have, I'm not crazy. You know, like there's a reason these things are happening to me. And a lot of the times now I know how to help myself or how to treat it, or at least be compassionate with myself. If there's not a way to fix something like, well, this is, this is how it is. And if I can't control it, then so be it, you know? So I'd say my natural tendency is not towards just like, oh, it's another challenge and optimism. Like that's definitely not my normal like (laughs) default setting. My default setting is definitely more like moody goth, like angst, (laughs) just like why me and like grief and stuff. But through like stoic philosophy and like a lot of hard work, I've been able to kind of like get to that point where it's just like, I would just like be so miserable every day if. I was in that mindset of just like, oh, why me? Pity, like, this is horrible. Like, I'm never going to get better. Like, you would really drive yourself mad if you did that. Um, so for me, it's been like, okay, this is the life I have available to me. I only get one. And this is the body I have. I only get one. So I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to figure out a way to make it work. So even on the days where that's really hard, like, I'm still overall trying. I'm always trying. And I think that's the key. So I always like joke with my friends. My motto is dying, but trying. Uh, <laughs> like I feel they're like, how are you? I'm like, I'm horrible, but you know, it's fine. I have a roof over my head. I have a job. I can go rock climbing. Like I'm really privileged and I'm really fortunate to be honest. Like even if I feel crummy a lot of the time, it's okay. <laughs> it, it sounds really weird, but that's kind of how I have to think about it, I guess. I <sighs> I really appreciate that. And I I love hearing your perspective on things. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. I want to take a minute to talk about the sponsor for this episode. That is the app Rerouted. With Rerouted, you can buy, sell, and donate used outdoor gear online instantly and automatically. As soon as it sells, you just print out a shipping label and you pop it in the mail. There's no hassle. You never have to deal with any strangers. It's a pretty painless process. One of the reasons I love Rerouted so much is because they are committed to access, sustainability, and affordability for all users. They're really into the circular economy and keeping things out of landfills. And that is just something I really enjoy. Um, And so if you want to try Rerouted for the first time, you can get 10% off of your first purchase with them with the link that is in the description below. And then also if you are clearing out your closet and making some more space for some new gear, uh, get in touch with me and I can put you in touch with their wizard so that you can list your first five items for free on their site. Again, that is rerouted. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show and let's get back to our chit chat. You did mention that you had recently written a book. Uh, and that was about your Patagonia experience? Yes. 
Can you yeah, talk a little bit about, about that and what people can expect? Totally. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, so when I was 19, I went to Patagonia with my boyfriend at the time. And he had um, some issues with addiction and mental illness. He had bipolar disorder. And he had told me about these things prior to our trip. But I was really young and naive. And I was like, okay, I can like manage this. Like I can handle it. It's fine. Um, and he was very charming and very manipulative. <laughs> and basically, only like a month or two after meeting each other, we ended up in Patagonia. So everything moved zero to 100 really fast, which is really common with people like that who are so good at manipulating and, and isolating you from everybody else in your life, like immediately. Yeah. Um, so taking me to like the end of the world, basically, was like a pretty good tactic on his part to like get me away <laughs> from everyone else. Um, he was also really obsessed with climbing Fitzroy, which is like the highest mountain in the range there in Patagonia, um, in Elsheltan. Yeah, it was stunning. It was so big. I like metaphorically like shit my pants the moment I saw it. I was just like, oh <laughs> my God, this mountain is huge. Like I had climbed the Grand Teton in Rainier and like I'd seen some like pretty good like vertical relief before, you know, yeah. I was like, oh, it's probably going to look kind of like the Grand. No, it's like El Cap stacked on top of Mount Rainier like it's like so <laughs> tall and just, photos like, don't do it justice <laughs> no yeah like you stand at the base of that thing and you're just like holy like wow like this is gonna be an ordeal <laughs> um, and I was just so young like yeah I'd climbed some stuff but like I was not ready for that experience like in theory I had the individual skills I needed to do it but it was a lot for me it was my first time out of the U.S. I was with this new guy. We were going to try to do this huge alpine climb. And I was just like really overwhelmed. Um, and he was just so singularly focused and struggling with his addiction and his mental illness. So there were a lot of things that happened that I talk about in the book, like with him, um, like really escalating the abuse as soon as we mm. got to Argentina, like as early as the first day we arrived. Um was like the first day it got really bad and um well I kind of had this moment of realization like whoa I'm stuck down here with this guy because we had bought one-way flights and I didn't have any money like oh left <laughs> um so he had successfully taken me to the end of the world drained me of all my money isolated me from everybody else and then was like screaming in my face and controlling my every move basically oh my god so it, it like went zero to 100 really, really fast. Um, and I turned to 20 on that trip. Um, and so I was like starting to like figure things out. And I like tried to leave a couple times, but it was really hard because he would basically threaten me like that he was going to kill me or track me down or kill himself and blame it on me. Or if I called the cops, he would kill the cops and then kill me or kill himself. Like this was always kind of one of his tactics as things got worse and worse over the coming months. So it made it really hard to leave. And I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with abuse have a hard time understanding that. Like, well, at the first sign of trouble, like, why don't you just leave? You know, but they don't understand how they like in get into your brain. And they, right. It's um, insidious. Like, yeah. It's, they, it's such as like, they just plant a little seed and mm -hmm. it's like not a big deal. And then it just, like, yeah. I don't know, just yeah. really grows. Manipulative is like such a soft word yeah. for what it is really. Yeah, he, I mean, he was like a mastermind at like controlling me. And I, you know, I grew up, my dad was a police officer and I'd learned about domestic violence and abuse and control. And 
I thought of all people, I was like, oh, I'm a strong, independent woman in STEM. I'm a rock climber. I'm going to be great. Like, I'll never be susceptible to something like this. But that was entirely not the case. And um, I mean, I got so sucked into it. And by the time I realized I needed to get out, it was like almost like too late, at least Mm -hmm. in Patagonia. And then when we got back from Patagonia, I mean, it just continued and it got worse and worse until I finally reached a breaking point. So the book kind of follows this whole arc from meeting this guy and how that completely changed my life. How I went from a full-time college student who was doing geology research and coaching the Utah State climbing team and like being an overachiever, so type A, you know, I was in a long-term relationship at the time, like ready to marry the guy I had been dating basically to a dirtbag climber who's out of money dating this crazy addict like (laughs) on this roller coaster (laughs) of adventures um so it kind of like follows my downfall and like how the relationship crumbled basically and escalated um and then how I eventually escaped and then like my recovery like the very beginning of my recovery I guess just so people at the end know I'm not like I didn't like die (laughs) you know (laughs) it's I laugh, but like, it's true. Like in abusive situations, like you either get out or you die a lot of times. Like those are the two outcomes. And a lot of women don't get to get out. And that's really, really scary. Um, So part of the reason I wanted to write this book was not only to like own my story and to let people know like this kind of stuff happens in climbing. Like you might see people out at the crag and like you have no idea what's going on between that couple. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's kind of scary, you know? So like look out for your friends basically. Um, and I also just wanted to like show people that like this can happen to anybody and this is kind of what it looks like, like in detail, like I don't spare anything. It's like full honesty of like all of the gruesome details. Um, and it's going to be really hard, I think for people to read, but I think overall it's like by the end it's, it's like uplifting, like me finding my independence and like finding the power to leave. Cause that takes a lot of bravery, you know, when, your life is literally yeah, on the line. Um, <laughs> and when your brain has been like changed <laughs> at some level, you know, like he was able to activate these things within my own like brain and nervous system. I didn't even know mm-hmm. were there. And it, it changed my personality like entirely. Like I'm like, such a different person now than I was before the abuse. Um, so I learned a lot from it, of course, and I became more resilient. Um, and I, I decided I wanted to like speak out more about abuse because of it um but I also just think it's like a good story too like I mean a lot of things went wrong in Patagonia you know I like was unroped on a glacier and like almost fell into these crevasses because he was like too impatient to wait for me and I got that dysentery and he was an addict and so we like met up with drug dealers a couple times and just like everything that went wrong like went wrong we had our car crashed into um so we had to deal with the cops down there just like all kinds of stuff so it's just like a good adventure story I think as well yeah at the risk of sounding very rambly I mean it's a long story so just follows this relationship and all the adventures and climbing and just really throwing me in the deep end in my climbing I was like a new trad leader at the time I'd been sport climbing a long time but I was really new to trad and he just like threw me in the deep end in Zion in Patagonia like everywhere we went (laughs) he was just like you'll be able to handle it and I was just like holy shit (laughs) um so that's really helped me as a coach too like for understanding how a lot of the women I coach respond to their partners and respond to new challenges in their climbing because I've been there (laughs) and I understand it (laughs) 
That is so interesting. And um, I can't wait to read it. Do you have any idea when it'll be published and available for public consumption? Hopefully, I'm hoping in like the next year, but um, it's so hard to say. The book publishing process is so interesting. So I finished writing it this summer. Um, I had started writing it like five years ago, like basically as a travel journal of what was happening. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, this is like crazy. Like I got to write this down, you know. (laughs) This Um, is wild. (laughs) Well, that and like he was so good at gaslighting me. So I was like, I need to like write down what's happening so I can look back and like be objective about, oh, like this is actually Mm -hmm. what I was feeling and like what happened, what he said, you know. Um, So it helped me like have a grip on reality basically. But um, pretty early on after writing the book, he like threatened to sue me over it. And so I like kind of abandoned the project for a while just out of fear. Mm. I was just like, I don't want him to come after me. I didn't know what he was going to do. And so eventually, though, like this summer, I um, as a teacher had the summer off and I was able to get paid through the summer for the first time, basically. And I was just like, this is my opportunity to write this book. Yeah. Um, So I was able to finally sit down and I wrote the whole thing from start to finish in six weeks. So I had a little bit of like source material from the original writing, but like I wrote the whole thing in six weeks, basically. Um, So that was a really good feeling, but that's just the first step, you know? So (laughs) now I'm like kind of hoping I can connect with an agent and or publisher sometime soon um and I'm like starting to look into some of those options and I would need to write like a query letter and and some other things um and then once I can like find someone who's on board then would have to go through some editing and and things and then hopefully get it published so it's kind of a long journey but I'm really determined to like get it out there um and I think there's enough people interested that I've got a pretty good shot so fingers crossed yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. I think so you could always go the self-publishing route too Christine yeah. Reed, who has been on the Deliver Living podcast twice, um, has done the self-publishing route and it it's working for her really well, but it's not for everybody. Yeah. Um, I wrote a memoir about my first year living in the van and I've gone through the editing process just myself and Oh wow, good for you. I have not published it yet because it's just it's a lot. <laughs> it is a <laughs> lot. lot. Yeah. But yeah. Hey, but good for you. You have it written down. And I think that's honestly like the first hurdle. So many people yeah. have a dream of writing a book, but even just getting that first draft done is monumental task. <laughs> so yeah. I've written it down. Me. I've reread it a few times and edited it a few times and I've allowed other people to read it, which is like always yeah. like, oh my God. Getting beta readers <laughs> is a really vulnerable experience. You're like, yeah. just, yeah, like give me feedback. I'm one of those people where it's like, I really want feedback, but I'm also going to cry a lot about it. Like probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. I like know I need it. And then I'm just like, oh. and it's funny because I've been a teacher and like a tutor. And so like I give people feedback on their writing all the time and I'm open mm-hmm. to that feedback for my own. And I think I've gotten to a point where I can like separate myself from my work pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also like, it's really personal when it's your own story and you're just like, oh man, like I want it to make sense. I want people to like resonate with it, you know? Um, I don't want people to read it and just be like, wow, I was depressing. And then just like never think about it again. You know, <laughs> I want them to like kind of come away with some kind of lesson about relationships or climbing or life or philosophy or something, you know, yeah. to carry with them. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping I can find a publisher. I think that would help a lot just like with marketing, printing. Like I don't want to have to deal with all of that myself. I have enough going on in yeah, my life you have a lot going on <laughs> so, and I think I could reach a wider audience that way as well um 
like around the country and or world. So maybe I'm I'm a dreamer in this sense. Like I, I want it to be really out there. Like I want to give myself a full shot to like let it be what it could be, like live up to its potential. So yeah. it's really vulnerable to like say that and aim for that. But that's really what I want to see happen. So well, if we have any <laughs> listeners to the show or viewers, if you're watching on YouTube, um, who are agents or who know agents or who have gone through the process or have any connections or advice or any of that, um, go ahead and send it to Fallon because yeah, I want to read the oh. book. So it better be Thank out you. there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm really determined. I, I'm going to try to finish editing here soon and get those queries done or or maybe from a podcast or something you know somebody yeah. will find me so it could happen who knows the universe is a funny place the internet is amazing like I mean even just like how we met each other um yeah. it's so cool to to see the connections that we can make through through the internet so thank yeah. you <laughs> I think the yeah. internet and social media really get a bad rap a lot of the time and like yeah they can be you know bad dangerous places but also like they can be used for good and they can be used to like meet like-minded people and connect with people and like share a lot of stories and experiences and inspiration and empowerment. And I think that, you know, one of the things that drew me to following you before I even got in my van was that, you know, you were doing the thing that I was trying so hard to do as well. And it was like, Oh, this is a solo woman doing it. And like, I found I tried to find all the solo women and you know four (laughs) years ago five years ago there weren't that many now there's a lot more but it's still like a very small group you know and so I think that just sharing the stories of women doing cool shit is like (laughs) something that we all need (laughs) yeah was I living in the Astro van at the time or do Uh you remember okay yeah (laughs) that was a fun experience yeah, definitely the biggest car I've lived in. I've lived in a like Suzuki Grand Viterra and a Montero Sport um, before, and those were a little smaller. But the Astro Van <laughs> was a little roomier. Definitely could not like stand up or anything, but I could sit up in my bed, which was the yeah. only car I've had that I could do that. So that was really nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll do car life again or van life again, um, just because like with medical stuff, it is really hard. Yeah. Um, but I, I like doing it for, like, short periods now. Like, I like having a balance. When I was mm-hmm. younger, like, I did it, like, full time. And it was it was exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> and now with, like, illness, I'm like, okay, it's really nice to have a shower and a fridge and an ice pack and, like, <laughs> you know, all of the things. But <laughs> I think it's really powerful as a young woman to, like, have that, like, where you're just on your own. Like, you can drive wherever you want. You can sleep wherever you want. You can do whatever you want. No one's telling you where to go or how to fix the thing or – how to stay safe like you're just out there you know so I'm glad I could be one of those those people for you like a, someone <laughs> to look at like okay this is possible because I didn't really know what I was doing I just was broke and I wanted to rock climb and I was just like all right this is the move you know like, <laughs> this is how it works this so. is what all the other climbers are doing so yeah it's just like I can't pay rent so here we are yeah <laughs> um, and now I found other ways like house sitting dog sitting you know like different things like I can still like be in the dirt bag vein without having to be in the van you know um but I mean whatever situation works for people I think it's great that's like deliberate living you know like the the title yeah. of the podcast like whatever you want to do with your life, like make it happen and be deliberate about it. Like have an intention and, and follow through on that. Um, and that's really powerful. Cause so many people just like go through the motions or tick the boxes, you know, like yeah. time to have a career and get married and have kids. And then I'm going to die and never do anything with my life. It's just like, Oh wow, that's sad. 
you know, yeah. like, <laughs> if that's what you want, then I guess that's cool. But I don't think that's what a lot of people want deep down. I think they crave the adventure or these different experiences. So mm-hmm. it's cool that there's so many more people now that we can look at on the internet who are like living these authentic lives that are different than the boomer formula we were given growing up you know yeah and there, there's more than one way to be a dirtbag there's more than yeah. one way to be a climber there's more oh, yeah. than one way to be a writer and so the more representation we can have about different people living different lives in their own unique ways I think that's amazing like there's a million different ways you can live with pots or mm-hmm. heads or hippospatia totally. or yeah. there's a million different ways you can be a teacher Mm -hmm. Um, or a coach or any of those things. And so just seeing other people doing the thing that maybe you want to do, or just doing the thing that you know, they want to do. It's like, oh, maybe I could do that. Or I could do something else, you know, but having representation fucking matters. And that's what this whole show is about. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, I I appreciate that. And I completely agree. Representation is huge. Because for me, like when I did get diagnosed with some of these things, like I was facing the unknown a lot with my climbing. And so finding other climbers who were dealing with this was huge for me. There's like a EDS climbers um, Instagram and I was able to like meet a lot of people through that one. And just like knowing there are other people out there who are dealing with the same shit you're dealing with or trying to do the same things you're doing. It's huge to like find that community and um just like someone has done the trailblazing in a way. And it's, it's just like really a boost of confidence, I think. Like I'm not the first person to like do this. You know, it's like, it's possible. I can do this. <laughs> um, yeah. so that's, that's pretty cool, I think, to like see those people out there. And I don't know. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. How does that phrase go? You can't be it if you don't see it. Yeah, like, something like that. Being the first be, is hard. Somebody has to be the first. Somebody has to be the first. But also that just like the rising tide lifts all ships like if you can see some one person doing it then you're like oh if they can do it I can do it yeah totally (laughs) yeah and I've had people reach out to me too like on Instagram other people with POTS or with HEDS or whatever it might be and be like wow like you've shown me I can rock climb still and that's like cool because I couldn't really find a lot of people with POTS who were climbing at first like Mm -hmm. at least not like climbing hard or like pushing themselves really hard like maybe they're more recreational and like that's cool too there's nothing wrong with that but I like couldn't really find anyone in the community who was like doing like rad shit outside with pots. And that was really discouraging at first. I was just like, is this going to be possible? Like, are my partners going to even like want to go outside with me? Are they going to be too afraid that I'm going to have like a, like an episode, you know, I'm going to like pass out or like something's going to happen. So that was really challenging. But now that I've like found more people, it's cool. Um, It's cool to see that. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, is there anything else that you want to promote or how can people come find you online and see what you're up to and keep in touch? Yeah. Uh, well, my Instagram is Fallon climbs. So it looks like fall on climbs. My name is actually Fallon. A lot of people don't realize that. (laughs) And the first time they hear it, it's actually my name. They're like so shook. So um, (laughs) that's my Instagram. Um, I own a climbing coaching business called Sage Sending, where I work with everybody, but mostly women, honestly, um, with chronic illness and um, trauma and whatever else it might be on mindset and mental coaching for climbing. Um, So I can help anybody, but that seems to be my niche, like all of my clients basically kind of fit into that demographic, which is kind of fun. Um, So yeah, Sage Sending and Fallon Climbs, those are like the two, two big things. And then look for my book eventually. I, uh, 
I would like to like share the title I have in mind, but I don't know if like if I have a publisher, I'm sure they'd have a say over what it is. But <laughs> um, we'll we'll see. So follow me and like look for my book, and hopefully we can uh, we can like pre-order that at some point here in the next year. Yeah, I mean, I will be promoting the shit out of your book as soon as it's available. So oh my God, everyone will hear about it. <laughs> You're so nice. Oh, I know. I'm so excited. It's really nerve wracking, like to share something that vulnerable with the world. But I think it'll be for the best. So yeah, I think the the more impactful things that exist in the world are the ones that are like the most scary to produce and the most vulnerable to share. But I think that 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 is where the power is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Some of the most powerful books I've read, certainly. So yeah, hopefully mine can fit into that as well. <laughs> Fingers crossed for sure. Thank awesome. you so much for having me on and give me a chance to share my story. I hope um people enjoyed it say hi if you like yeah it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah thank you so much I'm so glad that you were willing to come on the show and um that you've listened to some of it before that's so exciting <laughs> you're doing great it's awesome I, I love what you're doing keep it up thank you keep listening <laughs> yeah and everybody who has made it to the end of the episode you've made it to the end that is very exciting thank you so much i hope that you learned something that you got some inspiration um out of fallon's story and uh it, you know if you liked this episode you made it to the end so i'm going to assume you liked it go ahead give it like a thumbs up or five stars whatever it is on the platform that you are uh, listening or watching to it listening to or watching it on <laughs> words are hard um, and, uh, don't forget that I do have a, uh, podcast specific Patreon. I also have a personal Patreon, um, come follow me on Instagram if you're not already doing that, but that would be pretty dumb if you weren't doing that yet. Um, and tune in next time for another excellent episode. Bye.